Hi, Chris Ballatin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. I um, uh, We had a conference, Open Heavens Conference. I, was that three weeks ago? I don't know. It all runs together now. Two, three weeks ago. And the last night, I, uh, I felt the Lord give me this message called, My Presence will go, Shall Go With You. And I felt to share it again um, uh, with a little bit different detail. But, um, I, but in fact, let's just do this. Why don't you open to Exodus chapter 33. And we'll just start there. Exodus 33. <clears throat> and we may be going a quite a different place than you think we're going. If you didn't hear the message the last night of the conference. Verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Can everybody say outside the camp, please? And it came about that whenever Moses went to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of his tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Um, Before I go on, there's probably something pretty obvious here that I'm not going to, this isn't my main message, but I wanted you to notice that the commentary by Moses is that everyone who actually worshipped, worshipped at the tent. Are you with me? Did you notice that? It says that everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting. And did you notice that when Moses went to the tent, the people stood at their tent? And I'd like to just point out that worship must include sacrifice. (laughs) Okay, anyway. I'm pointing out that some people want to worship. Hmm. Some people will worship to their comfort zone. I don't know how far I should go here because this really isn't my message tonight. Some people call what... What some people call worship is absent of sacrifice. I don't want to get out of bed and drive to church. Listen, I'm glad we have online church. We have online school. We have online stuff. Love online everything. But if the only reason you won't come to church is because you don't want to make a sacrifice, I'd be checking on that. Because you can't worship without sacrifice. Okay, here we go. When all the people, verse 10, when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. They would worship at their tents. But the commentary that Moses gave is that everyone who was actually worshiping worshiped at the tent, not his tent. Are you with me? I understand this is Old Testament, so it's the principles we're talking about. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as the man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would depart, would not, I'm sorry, would not depart from the tent. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people 
but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, God said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us from here. From how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not that you are going with us so that we, I and your people, shall be distinguished from all the other people upon the earth? Now there's a bunch more in this passage where God tells Moses, you know, I'm going to send an angel with you instead of going myself. And Moses says to God, listen, I'll outlive this. I'd rather be in the wilderness with you than the promised land with an angel. But here's, uh, here's my main point for the night. Moses is experiencing the presence of God in the tent of meeting. And he's talking to God face to face. And he's saying to God, this is wonderful, I love this. But I have an issue. The issue isn't that we, that we don't meet. The issue is that I actually need you with me all the time. <laughs> like, I need to have the tent of meeting experience when I'm not at the tent. Are you with me? He's saying, he's saying to God, God... I love your presence. The challenge is, is that when we start moving during the day, like this is a great Sunday, but Monday I have to go to work. And the challenge is, is that I need that experience to be with me. I need that. Like I'm, I'm thankful for that, but I can't, I can't stay at the tent 24-7 forever because you've given me responsibility and whenever I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I don't feel your presence. And God goes, you got it. My presence will be with you. Now, okay, you're going to have to give me some grace, okay? Like, I love worship. I actually started the worship school. I sort of like it. So, so what I'm about to say, you need to factor that in. Because if you don't factor that in, then you're going to get, you know, I've never heard, there's no such thing as a balanced message. So I want you to know, like, all of this I believe. My grandson was right there. My grandson, Elijah, I think five years ago, in a worship meeting, when the Holy Spirit fell on him, he wasn't walking with God, and he laid on the floor for two hours where God delivered him, this is his words, he said, something reached down inside of me and pulled evil out of me. And that young man walked out of this room a completely different man. I mean, a completely different man. My other grandson, Isaac, was barely, I don't know, walking with God. Maybe once saved, always saved, walking with God. <laughs> Sorry. 
three years ago, three and a half years ago, it was the day before school ministry was to start. He called me and said, Papa, would you, can we have lunch? And him and I haven't been close for a while. We sat down at lunch. He said, uh, I'm not living right. I said, okay, what should I do? You're asking me what you should do? Yeah. I said, well, you should serve Jesus and come to school ministry. Now, let me just say this. Like, because I started school ministry, I used executive privilege. Because my grandson would have never qualified to come to school ministry. And I just want to apologize to everyone who didn't qualify and you didn't get in. <laughs> my team knows. They're, they're graceful. But they, they uh, you know, anyway, there's a lot to say about that. My grandson didn't even know. He gets in the registration line. He can't freaking figure out how to register. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I'm like, how is he going to do school when he can't register? He's in school, I don't know, like a week. They have a revival group. He is on the floor. He thinks he's on the floor for 15 minutes. But he gets up three hours later. A different man. Everybody was gone. It's just him and a girl. He said, Papa, I got stuck to the floor and I woke up five minutes later, but it was three hours later and the whole revival was gone except for one girl who stayed to pray for me. He said, I saw this vision and God gave me this thing and he's on fire for God. He's walking with God this day. So, I'll tell you those stories so that you'll know that I have a huge value for God at the tent. Can I say it that way? Like, I believe in God at the tent. I believe in what we did tonight. Like, I was like getting raptured tonight. I don't even know if that's the right word. Like, something was happening to me. Like, Christine and Peter, I was like, whoa, what is going on? This is beautiful, wonderful, wonderful. You know, it's just, you don't want to leave. But, but, I, but I do want to point something out. Okay, so can you not forget that, what I just said? Because otherwise, this is going to sound really harsh. Probably going to sound really harsh anyway. <laughs> Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Here's my concern. My concern is, is that we call this worship. I don't have a problem with that. Except for that we don't call everything else we do worship when I've dedicated my body to the Lord. And you're well, what's wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with it. But we create expectation when there's music. And we have a high expectation. As a matter of fact, those of us that direct worship, which most of the people in this front row have done, is like we want worship. Worship? I'm talking about worship music right now, okay? So right now, when I use the word worship, I'm talking about what just happened, okay? And we're like, we're like really careful, like it has to happen. Just wait the next, well, two more minutes. It's gonna, something really is gonna, we're gonna have a climax here. I love all that. I've done it, directed it myself. Except for what happens is, is that it creates an expectation that if I don't have that, 
I can't get that. And I'm very concerned that we have created dualistic Christians who believe that worship has something to do with music instead of something to do with sacrifice. Because I can't live here. I, I, can't, I can't stay with the music 24-7. And I need the Lord out here, out of here, more than I need him here. And I'm concerned that we have trained ourselves to actually believe that this has to happen for something mighty to happen. And I'm telling you, that's not true. I'm telling you that I love when we're offering to God, but when I received Jesus Christ, when you received Jesus Christ, you became a living sacrifice. Now, we've said this many times, so this is not news to anyone. But when I was a mechanic, I learned from Bill Johnson, Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And Bill shared a message when I was, the first three months I was with Bill that changed my life forever. In fact, I'm on this stage because of that message. And that message was this. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Most of you have been taught, this is what he taught us. Most of you have been taught, first you seek the kingdom, and then like your family, then like, you know, you get the idea, there's a list. And Bill said, if it's not in the kingdom, you shouldn't be doing it. And then he made the statement, when you receive Jesus Christ, there's no such thing as secular anymore. Everything you do is sacred to God. When Jesus said, if you give a cup of water to somebody in my name, you've done it to me. In other words, the smallest detail of your life is worship to God when you dedicate your life to God. And you know what happened? That message, that sermon, that message took what I did for a living and pulled it into the kingdom. See, I thought that I worked for money so I could give to the people who did the sacred work, not realizing I was doing the sacred work. And Bill said this in his message. He said, what the guitar, what the, what the worship leader does with the guitar, and I think he used me as an example, is no more holy than what Chris does with his wrenches at the shop because he dedicated his life to Jesus. And therefore, when he works on cars, because he dedicated his life to Jesus, he's become a holy sacrifice. And what he does on cars is holy unto the Lord. And you know what happened? You know what happened? I began to anticipate that God was with me all day long. God cared about fixing cars. God cared about taking care of customers. God cared about me taking care of my employees. Like suddenly my repair shop and later on, you know, nine businesses, we just kept pulling them into the kingdom. And the goal was for people who did it, and one of the goals was for people who didn't know the king to experience the kingdom. The only way they're going to experience the kingdom is if I believe, I believe I'm bringing the kingdom. Are you with me? And what I'm getting at is that if I have to have an atmosphere 
atmosphere. Um, if I have to have music, and there's other things too. Amusing music is just one thing. Like, you know, it has to, it has to work this way. Like a customer has to come in. This song has to be playing on the speakers over the shop. And then three of us are in the back room and we gather before the customer comes in. We're like, Jesus, let me encounter you. Like, that's good. And by the way, it's happened in many of my businesses at times. But most of the time, it's just practicing the presence will go with you. His presence will go with you. Am I making sense? What you believe matters. Because think about a door. Think about a tangible but invisible door right here. And that door says kingdom on it. This says kingdom of God. This says kingdom of darkness. There's probably more keys than this, but as an illustration... There's two keys. Both of them say faith on them. One says, I believe something terrible is going to happen to me. And when I open that door, the floodgate of evil. Isaiah 54 says, oppression will be far from you, for you will not fear. Reverse it. Oppression will be close to you because you're afraid. The more you're afraid, the more you keep unlocking that door. You're like, the devil's after me. You know why he's after you? Why? Because you believe he is. Oh, you mean I'm, I'm believing in illusion? No, no. I said, you believe. I'm not saying you're believing in illusion. I'm saying you're opening the door by faith. Because fear is faith in the wrong God. I've used this illustration at least 300 times. At least. If a little boy comes up to me and says, I'm going to beat you up. I don't feel any anxiety. You know why? I don't believe him. I don't believe him. What? If a gangster comes up and says, I'm going to beat you up, I have anxiety. You know why? Because I believe him. I'm pointing out that I believe him. That's why I have anxiety. I open the door to evil. Like both kingdoms work by faith. The whole spirit realm works by faith. Are you with me? When I believe God, I open the door to the kingdom. I'm not saying, uh, I'm, I'm not saying like, I believe it, therefore it's true. I, d- I don't mean it like that kind of belief, even though there's part of that. I mean, I'm actually unlocking a door and inviting what I believe in. Are you with me? Okay, so how important is it that what I believe is actually true? Because Jesus said, John uh, 8.32, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. The word truth there is not logos or rhema. It's the word reality. You'll know reality and that will set you free. But how many of you know believing in a virtual reality will imprison you? But also, there's another level of reality. If I don't believe that something can happen until the worship, until there's music worship, then it doesn't happen. Not because it can't, but because I don't believe it. Are you with me? Okay, I used this example um, the other day in the sermon. When we used to prophesy, I was, you know, I was, I, I got saved with the Jesus people. I was with the charismatic Catholics for a while. 
I mean, with the Pentecostals later on. So I got this whole mixture going on inside of me, cultures. But the Pentecostals only prophesied after they spoke in tongues. And they were the ones who taught me to prophesy. So we used to It even comes naturally to me right now. Like it's just been there so many years. The Lord says to you today, that's how we prophesied. I didn't, no, that, that's how I was taught to prophesy. The challenge is, is that as we begin to move in other realms, in other words, outside the church walls, it was really hard. And I know it's kind of funny. And I, I, I say it mostly funny, but it's really true. Like it's a little hard to shamba in the mall. <laughs> People don't know what you're doing. You're like, it's a little bit hard to shamba when you're running with government people or political people or, you know, I, listen, I've done, I've shambled in there, but, but my point is, is that if I didn't under, if I didn't come later on to understand that what they taught me, they didn't go, you have to speak in tongues or you can't prophesy. No one said that, but how many know more is caught than taught. So I was taught through demonstration that I had to speak in tongues to get a prophecy or a word of knowledge or move in healing for that matter. And later on, I began to, because of where we were ministering and we couldn't do that, I was forced to like, well, let's do it under my breath. And then pretty soon you forget to do it because you're so nervous and you have this amazing word of knowledge, an amazing prophecy. And like, oh, I didn't speak in tongues and I got the word. And pretty soon, I know it sounds really silly. I'm just telling you my, my journey. My journey was, I wonder if you don't have to speak in tongues to get a word. But I had to because I believed I did. Are you with me? And so where I'm going is that I, I want us to enjoy corporate worship and all of this without creating this expectation that you have to have that for the presence of of God to be with you. You know, the early church had very little, I don't know if there was a band in the early church. I, there might've been, I mean, somebody's kids. I mean, Brian Johnson, those guys who studied tabernacle, probably even Leslie. I have two, the old Testament, but you know, what I see in the new Testament, I don't see much emphasis on people getting together in worship. I see Paul and Silas in prison singing hymns, no band. I don't know if he was a very good singer, but it didn't matter because they were honoring God, right? They were worshiping God and the jail, the foundation, the jail started shaking and the, do the doors open. Listen, I'm not saying that God doesn't love what we just did. I'm just pointing out that the world was rocked without bands all through the book of Acts. And then they didn't emphasize worship probably because they were persecuted and there was a thousand reasons why they didn't bring the tabernacle, the tabernacle of David worship into the new covenant as far as practice. Now I understand that I know Acts 15 says, in the last days I'll raise up the tabernacle of David, I'll wall up his ruins, I'll raise up its breaches so that all the mankind might seek the Lord. And I realized they took the prophecies of the tabernacle and they pulled them into the new covenant. So I understand that David's tabernacle worship is new covenant worship. I get that. But I'm pointing out 
that probably because of where they were, the Christians persecuted under Rome and all that, that they probably couldn't gather bands and, and, and have what we have, this freedom we have. And, and, and probably they would want it to. But, but my point is, is that they changed, they rocked history because they believed that God would move on their behalf without the atmosphere. And my, my, deep, my deep concern for, for us as a people is that we need to rock the nations. <laughs> that was much better. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> Matthew 28, you know, this is uh, Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, make disciples of all nations. I, I just the last line really caught me tonight. For lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hey, I want you to disciple nations. And what I said to Moses in Exodus 33, I say to you, lo, I'm with you always. Listen, my presence will go with you. Listen, listen, I want you to disciple nations. And let me tell you what I said to Mo. I will be with you no matter where you go. <coughs> you can't leave my presence. That's a good word. Ezekiel 47, why don't you turn there? How am I doing for time? Ezekiel 47, verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house towards the east. For the house faced the east. And the water was flowing from down under. I've always said that's around Australia. From the right side of the house, the south of the altar. And he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate by the way of the gate which faces east. Behold, water was trickling from the south side. When the man went out towards the east with the line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits and he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. And again he measured a thousand and he led me through water, water reaching the knees. And again he measured a thousand and he led me through water, water reaching the loins. And again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that no one could ford, for the water had risen. Enough water to swim in, a river that no one could ford. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now when I was, had returned, behold, on the bank of the river, there were many trees on one side and on the other. Then he said to me, these trees, no, these waters go out towards the eastern region, and they go down to Arberth, and they go down towards the sea being made to flow into the sea. And the waters of the sea become fresh. The word fresh there in the Hebrew is the exact word healed. It's not a root word. It is the exact word healed. And it will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be many fish for these waters go there and others become fresh or healed. And everything will live where the river goes. Are you with me? And it will come about that fishermen will stand beside it from, I can't read those two names, and there will be a place of spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea, very many. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh or healed. They will be left for salt. By the river on the bank, I'm sorry, by the river on its bank, on one side and on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, their fruit will not fail. They will, be, they will bear fruit they will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Everybody say, the water flows, the water flows from the sanctuary. the sanctuary. 
and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Let me just pick up Revelation 22.1. Then he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on one side of the river, on, I'm sorry, on either side of the river were trees of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month for the leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. Whew. I just want to point out this metaphor that Ezekiel, he says that this water, this water that starts out as a trickle is trickling underneath the sanctuary door. Are you with me? So picture, I don't know, picture Solomon's tabernacle or something, a place where there's what we just did, like that kind of worship. And underneath the door, the, the, the place is filling up with water. Like, I don't know how this works inside there, but like the place is filling up with water, right? The tabernacle. And, under, and, and it's seeping underneath the door. And as it gets further from the door, the further it gets from the door, the deeper it is, right? So let's say 100 yards, it's to the ankles, 200 yards to the knees, 300 yards to the loins, whatever. You know, 1,000 yards, whatever. It's a river that no one could ford, right? But, okay, so, so there's, there's a couple things happening. First of all, what's the source of the river? Come on, you got it. Don't, don't. The sanctuary, right? The sanctuary is, the, so, the river is flowing from the sanctuary, I'm saying, listen, it's flowing from worship. <laughs> but it's leaving the temple. <laughs> and the further you get from the temple, the deeper the water. <laughs> Can I put it this way? The greatest miracles are happening furthest from the church. Yes. Listen, listen. I, I'm not saying that they're not happening because of the church. I'm just saying they're happening outside the church. Because I'm saying in the church is this worship, right? Not just this worship, but this worship. And this worship is happening, right? You, me, we're offering living sacrifices, not just the music. Are you with me? And out of that is the river flowing. <coughs> Sorry. A river, it's seeping. Like It may just look like it's seeping. It, it doesn't depict that it's like flowing under the sanctuary. It depicts that it's just trickling. But for some reason, it picks up momentum as it gets further away from the sanctuary. Now, it's having two, there's two manifestations of this that are profound to me. The first one is the river. Everyone who gets in the river gets freaking healed. Are you with me? Okay, now, it, it makes a statement. It says, let's see if I can find it real quickly. It says this, uh, but its swamps and marshes will not become fresh, but will be left for salt. Okay, follow me. We're still doing the river, the, the water. Got me? Okay, so the river's flowing. You know how marshes happen? Like uh, 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 the water that's in the river will go out into a, what we call marsh, right? And a marsh is where the water goes in, but it can't come out. And Ezekiel depicts that those marshes, even though they have the same water that's in the river, because they have no outlet, they don't heal anyone. Where is the water? 
come from that was in the marsh? From the sanctuary. <laughs> from the river. But what happened is, is that the river went in, but it couldn't get out. And for some reason, in Ezekiel's metaphor, that because the river went in and couldn't get out, it didn't heal anyone. In other words, the healing qualities of the river are in its movement. Not just in its presence. Can I say that again? The healing quality of the river is not just in its elements, but in its movements. Because when it pulls up without an outlet, it doesn't become fresh. Are you with me? So everything that is in the river gets healed, made fresh, is alive. But there's another element that's equally as profound. And that is the, let's see if I can put it to words. I have it in my, I have it in the picture of my mind. That is the element of the water that can't be seen, but is affecting the trees. Are you with me? Like, you, have you ever, um, we, uh, we have a couple of weeping willow trees, and those things can find water in a drought. Like, other trees, you, you stop watering them, they'll, they'll get dry, but I don't know what it is about weeping willows. They can find water anywhere. <laughs> And you're like, how the heck, where did they find this water? Well, what I'm getting at is that these trees are actually feeding from the water that's in the river. Not directly, like you can't see the water there. It's not like they, they're irrigating it, but the roots are in the river. And consequently, the trees the river is having a very odd effect on the trees in that instead of bearing fruit once a year, they bear fruit every month. And not only that, but there's a quality, the quality of the water, remember anything that gets in the river lives, but anybody who eats the leaves of the, free, of the tree actually have the same manifestation as being in the river. And Revelation says that the leaves are for the healing of nations. Are you with me? Why am I telling you all this? Because I feel like sometimes all we want to do is be in the sanctuary. And we think this is it. This is the, this is the pinnacle of the expression of Jesus. And I'm like, this is beautiful. Let's never take from this. Let's not... Let's not Pull this down. Let's elevate this. Let's say what's happening in the sanctuary, God wants what's happening in the sanctuary to affect the nations. God wants what's happening in the sanctuary to affect the nations. Listen, uh, listen, he wants to, okay, there's two things I'm saying. The first one is God wants everyone to be saved. Done. Got it? Tom, come on, Tom, give me an amen. Amen. But I'm not just talking about salvation. Even though that's the best gift ever. I'm also talking about the transformation of nations. That God doesn't just want to get people saved. I don't even get this. He actually wants the nations. 
He actually wants to transform nations. He wants to heal nations. He wants to heal people groups, not just, not just individuals. I'm going to read you a harsh verse. I was going to not read it, but I'm going to. Isaiah 58, 1. Now, okay, I'm going to read you this first part, which I don't think has anything to do with you or me. It might have something to do with you, but it doesn't have anything to do with me, I want to tell you. <laughs> Number one, uh, sorry, Isaiah 58, 1. Cry aloud and don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Now, I earnestly do not think this applies to where we are as a, as a movement or as a church. I earnestly don't. If I did, I would say the Lord gave me this for us. But let me read on. Yet they seek me day by day to delight to know my ways. And as the nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinances of God. They ask, for just, they ask me for just decisions and they delight in the nearness of God. Okay, listen, listen to this. They seek me day by day and delight to know my ways. Is that us? Come on. Yes. As a nation, they seek righteousness and that has not forsaken the ordinances of God. Is that you? Yes, me too. And they ask for just decisions and they delight in the nearness of God. Does that sound like you? Yes. Look at the next verse. Why have we fasted and you do not see? So the people are going, so we love presence. We seek righteousness. We ask for just decisions. We fast. We do these things. And we actually love your presence. So it's a mystery to us why we fast and you don't see. Okay, do you understand where the people are coming from? Like we love your presence and we do righteousness. And so we, we are... We, we are it's beyond us why we fast and you don't see. This is old covenant. I get that. We'll fix it in a minute. Why have we humbled ourselves and you don't notice? Like if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. So they're like, we fast and you don't, listen, we, we love your presence. We fast and it doesn't seem like you see. And we humble ourselves and it doesn't seem like you care. And now here's God's response. Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire and you drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife to strike with a wicked fist. Do you not fast like, um, you do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is this the fast? Is, is it a fast like this, which I choose a day for a man to humble himself? God says, do you think I'm, you think that I, I, you think that I like your fast because you're humbling yourself? And I would be like, yes, God. And God goes, no. Is it for bowing of one's man, is, is it for bowing of one man's head like a reed for spreading out sackcloth and ashes on your bed? Will you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? I, I would be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to told us to do this. You said, humble yourself. You're, you're the one who said, that I should bend over. You're the one who said, I should get low. And God goes, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> is this the fast which I, oh, he said, is it for the bowing of one's head like a reed, for the spreading of sackcloth and ashes as a bed? You'll call this a fast, even acceptable day of the Lord? Is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo, undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house 
When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from his own flesh, then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, I'm right here. And he goes on like that. Oh, well, let me just read it. And here, uh, he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking of weakness. If you give yourself to the hungry, satisfied desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like noonday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones and you'll be like a water garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not ever fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations and you will re- and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. It goes on like that. The passage is harsh. It is Old Testament. But the principle that astounds me is that these people love the presence of God. And God goes, I don't like that you love my presence, but it doesn't affect the streets. It's not changing your city. It's not helping the poor. It's not helping the broken. And God goes, you think this is, you think, you think just humbling yourself is what I want. And God's like, humility on to presence in the streets is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the manifestation of my presence to actually help the broken. To actually repair broken cities, broken foundations, broken cities, broken people, homeless poor. These people have to be touched for this to be worship that I like. We don't want to not do this. We don't want to take this down. Not even one notch. In fact, let's move this up. But let's move this up with it. Let's move this up with it. Like when you go to work tomorrow or whatever you do on Mondays and you're like, that crazy prophet got me stirred up. I think the presence is with me wherever I go. Anything could happen right now. Anything could happen right now. You're at work at Walmart. You're all of a sudden, you're like, anything could happen right now. I don't know. I'm a tabernacle. I'm a sanctuary. I'm telling you, I'm leaking everywhere. I'm leaking. And there are, there are streams flowing out from me. Only God knows what could happen right now. I'm stacking shelves. I am disguised as a stack shelfer. Shelf stacker. I look like an everyday shelf stacker, but I'm actually a sanctuary full of his presence. Part of a spiritual house being built up for a holy offering to God. Anything could happen right now. Who knows? I may not even have to say anything. People walk through my water. They're walking through my water all day long. Splish, splash. You're back in the bath. I'm over here stacking shelves and a woman walks by me and I'm like, she's walking through my fresh water. Only God knows what's going to happen to her. She may get home and go, I don't know, went to Walmart and feels so good. I'm going to start shopping there every week. Feels so good over there. What section were you in? I don't know. I was in the pool section, I think. There's a river flowing out of me. 
Are you with me? I want to just address one more thing and we'll be done. There's a crazy pressure to mere culture right now to be relevant. I got quiet. Like being hip and cool seems to be like, like I can't really touch someone unless I'm hip and cool. And I'm like, whatever. Sometimes you're hip and cool and you're touching people and you think it's because you're hip and cool, but I'd say often it's in spite of it. Because God don't think you're that hip when you're being hip. And I I just want to point, I'm going to read you Matthew 3. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. Everybody say wilderness. Okay, so John is preaching in the wilderness. Jesus is preaching in the, in the sanctuary, in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by the Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of ha- camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Which is why he's preaching in the wilderness. <laughs> no, one, no one's going to invite you to be a conference speaker when you freaking eat locusts and dress like a crazy person. I'm just, I pointed out that John's anointing was greater than his hippiehood. And then John, it says, now John himself had a garden that I read that. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all of Judea and all the district around Jordan And they were all being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Get this. But when he saw that many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to be baptized, he said to them, you broad of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath could come. Now, you understand that John is a pastor's kid. These Pharisees are his dad's friends. Yeah, I'm not thinking it's going well around the family dinner either. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourself, we are Abraham, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that these stones, that from these stones, God's able to raise up children to Abraham. The ax is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. (laughs) I mean, I just want to say, not a great message. (laughs) Not, Not, I mean, like, he's not hip. Like, there's no other person in the entire Bible that we know of that ever wore camel's hair and ate grasshoppers. I wrote this. John the Baptist was out of style and totally relevant. His clothes were detestable, his diet unpalatable, his message indigestible, yet his impact on history undeniable. The son of a preacher, conceived by a miracle, announced by an angel, anointed by a king, filled with the spirit, and hated by the world. John was born into desperate times, and desperate times call for desperate measures. The, Roman, the Romans, whose cultural values were steeped in Greek philosophy, absent of moral purity, who were spiritually, and who were spiritually, were polytheists, ruled the Jews. Jews' spiritual leaders were also corrupt, self-centered narcissists. Who use, who use religion to oppress their people, especially women. 
They led Israel out of relationship with God into meaningless religious rituals. They had virtually no relationship with God. Thus, the entire world was rotting from the inside out as immorality, impurity, dishonesty, and corruption ate away at the souls of men and destroyed the very fabric of society. And then came John. Last thing I want to say. His presence makes you relevant. You don't need woke culture. You don't need wake this. You don't need, I agree with all that. You don't need, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to say anything that would hurt anyone's feelings. Listen, I'm not, I'm not into being harsh. I'm not into being harsh. I am into doing what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. John the Baptist, he was John the Baptist. He, he preached a harsh message. Got it. But even though he preached a really harsh message, all of Israel went out to see him. Even though he lambasted the religious leaders, they still came to get baptized by him. You know why? Because you don't have to be hip to be anointed. You don't have to be hip to be anointed. You don't have to be good looking. I mean, it helps. (laughs) Sorry. A little funny. I'm saying, I think the church in the last 50 years has become obsessed with mirroring culture to be relevant. And Jesus didn't say, arise and reflect. He said, arise and shine. We're so afraid to tell people the truth. It's ridiculous. People do, you know, they live in complete and total sin. And we try to figure out like how to get them in. Like don't offend anybody. Don't tell anybody they're, and they're, all of society, can you see it, is rotting from the inside out. Listen, we are experiencing what John experienced in the first century when the Greeks and the Romans were teaching bullcrap that wasn't true and killing people. They're offering their children to idols. They believed in polytheism, the multiple gods. They believed in homosexuality. They believed in, I mean, it just goes on and on. Listen, there ain't nothing new. There's nothing new. And John preached the gospel. But preaching the gospel without the presence won't change people. (laughs) You got a leak while you preach. I mean, we've all seen, you know, all of us have seen the, the signs. Jesus said, go out and do signs and wonders, and we see him on a post. You're all going to hell. You know, you immoral you people are all going to hell. Like, and you know, like, I, I don't see any fruit from that. But what I see fruit from is loving the hell out of people. What I see fruit from is going all day, going with the presence. Anything could happen. And God loves people. He loves people in sin. He found you and me in sin. There wasn't one person in here that deserves being in this room. That includes me. Well, maybe Bill. <laughs> I don't know if Bill ever sinned. That's a joke. That's a joke. Not part of our cult <laughs> philosophy. Just a joke. It was just a lighthearted joke. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you the story, and I'll end with this. 
Several years ago, I got invited to Humboldt State University on the coast. You may have heard the story. It's in one of my books. And uh, because they had a class, a Baptist pastor started a class on the supernatural. And so, yeah, a Baptist pastor started a class on the supernatural on Humboldt State campus. And so he said, hey, why don't you come in? I didn't, at the time, his name was Clay Ford, the pastor. He said, I heard your testimony. Why don't you come and share my class? So anyway, and he said, you know, you can come for two or three days and, and we'll share different places. So we went to class and uh, we actually, it was actually a class time. You know, it was actually a class, like an official class called um, the Supernatural. And the class was full of New Age people. Uh, there was uh, some witches in there, a couple of warlocks in there, and mostly New Age people. There was about 40 people in the room. So I came in, and there was uh, several students with me. And to be honest, I was really nervous. And we, the, the, uh, Baptist, uh, the Baptist uh, church is on the campus of Humboldt State University. still is. So we walked from the Baptist church to Humboldt State. And you know when you've never done anything before, like you've never done something before, that anxiety that you know, you're like, how's this going to work? And what am I going to share? And anyway, we're walking... Uh, to the campus and Clay Ford is just an unusually amazing man. He's a happy man. And we're walking and he's telling me about his students and how excited he is for me to teach and I'm, my anxiety is growing. <laughs> and so we get to the back door of the campus. I'm telling you exactly how it happened. And the Lord said to me, as loud as I've ever heard him before, but not audible, today I'm going to show off. He said that to me. Well, it was disturbing because I'm like, show off. What does that mean? Going to show off. It, did, it didn't put me to ease. It was like, oh my gosh, she's going to show off. So as we get into the hallway, uh, Pastor Ford uh, puts his arm around me and says, listen, this is a 45-minute class. And the one rule we can't break is that we have to be out in 45 minutes because there's only a 10-minute break between classes and we can't violate the school policy. So please, when I tell you we're done, what, if you're in halfway through the sentence, you need to stand up and leave. And, and he said, we can go outside, and if students want to come out and talk to us, they can. Okay. So anyway, so I get up front, and you know, there's probably 10 of us and like 30, maybe 35 of them, maybe something like that, maybe 30 of them. Room's packed. Uh, it's not a very big room. So I'm sitting on a, just sitting on the desk, and I'm just sharing stories about my deliverance that I just decided that I'd just share my personal story, how the Lord delivered me from demons. Well, <laughs> can't even imagine how in that audience what got stirred. So the, uh, we get like 40 minutes in, and, and, and Pastor Clay's like, he's doing this, like, done, 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 done. We're done. So I'm like, he's like, wrap it up. So I'm like, so we got to wrap it up here. And this girl stands up, and she says... Um, I had an experience like that. And Clay's like, I'm like, good, you know, talk to us outside. So she goes, yeah. And so while she's talking, she's talking out loud and she's saying, yeah. She said, the other night, I, I, uh, she said, I, I, you know, I, I'm in a new age movement. And the other night I was in bed and this demon came in my room and I stood up on the bed and this demon came after me and Pastor Clay taught us about the blood of Jesus. And I said, the blood of Jesus sets me free. And she said, and it fled. Like, she doesn't know the Lord, right? 
just knew the blood of Jesus. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And so then I, I so we just, we're walking out. And there's all these people trying to get out the door and people coming in. And I said to her, oh, but your mother was a psychic, right? And she's like, yeah. And I go, and you had these experiences. And I started telling her about the experiences she had and things that happened to her. She's like freaking out. Yeah, yeah, that happened to me. I'm like, okay, well, so I, I, we're just to the door and we're waiting for people to come and go, right? And so I go, I'm gonna, I said, I'm, I'm gonna pray for you. And I was just gonna like put my hand on her, on her shoulder and just start praying as we go out. And I put my hand on her shoulder and I said, in the name of, before I could get Jesus out, she fell down in the doorway, a full on, full on <laughs> deliverance manifestation. Let me just say that. She's screaming, but she blocked the door. Can't go in or out. And, and Clay looks over at me and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And she's just like, freaking out. So, so, so four guys grab her and we drag her, literally drag her because she's just freaking out. We drag her outside the university. Like double doors, we go out. And she's in this courtyard in the middle. And so, and so people, instead of going into the, their classes, of course, they're like, what's going on? So I do a deliverance on her right there. And she gets free and she starts rolling on the ground laughing. And she's like, oh, I feel so much joy. And she's like, she's laughing in the way that makes other people laugh, right? So, so there's all these people gathered around. None of them know the Lord. And we're standing there and I'm like, okay, what do we do now, you know? Uh, now there's like 100 people. And, and, and the people that are watching are in a big circle and she's in the middle and she's just rolling around like completely gone in the Lord. But, and people are watching, they're going, oh, oh, yeah. These aren't the Christians that are with us. These are the students. So I'm watching that and I'm like, and I'm thinking, well, what would you do if you were in the sanctuary? What would you do? I said to myself, what would you do? So I just said, hey, you want some of this? This guy's going, oh, oh. I said, you want some more of this? He goes, I don't know. I go, well, take it. Down he goes. He's on the ground. He's rolling around. He's like, now he's laughing hysterically. Then, oh, and now I got it figured out. This is what we're doing. So you want some of this? Bam, bam, bam. People are going down everywhere. They're laughing. They're rolling on the floor. There's, some people are screaming out demons. And now there's like lots of people, a lot more people. A teacher comes in. She walks past, stops. She turns around. She goes, what's happening here? I go, I have no idea. She goes, yeah, me neither. She walks in. There's a guy, he's probably maybe from here to that wall. And he's got his hand, he's holding hands with this, this girl and he's like plastered to the wall. Not, not Holy Spirit plastered. Like he wants to run, but he can't leave. And I said to him, hey, what's your name? He said, my name's Joshua. I said, yeah, because your parents dedicated you to the Lord. When you were a little child, I saw the Lord, I saw your daddy lift you up and dedicate you to the Lord. His girlfriend falls on the ground, grabs his legs and starts screaming, save my boyfriend. (laughs) 
he gets saved. We were there for three days. Wicked people falling out, challenging us in the courtyard. You have power, I have power. You ain't got no power. Let's see your power. Nothing happened. Let me show you my power. Lord, get him. Oh, we were having so much fun. Three months later, I brought Brian Johnson to do a, a conference. No, worship. Brian's standing up and he starts singing one spontaneous song. Buddha sucks. Muhammad sucks. But Jesus saves. People, Buddha sucks. Muhammad sucks. You got to understand, like, this is like two thirds of the audience. Buddha sucks. Just spontaneously, like, Clay's looks over at me like, I think we just offended the whole entire school. I don't know. Buddha sucks. Muhammad sucks. But Jesus saves. He's singing it over and over. People are rushing the front. Now, that was a lot of fun right there. That's the kind of stuff we should be doing. Can you imagine, like, I just have this imagination. I, I just imagine being on the campus, like, I don't know, you know, some, like, really woke campus. Really woke. I mean, like, I mean, like, really woke. And just being on campus and then going, Holy Spirit, you know, and just seeing, like, professors down, people squirming like snakes, you know, Holy Spirit moving, people getting delivered. I mean... That's the kind of ministry I want. Okay, well, I'm done. Why don't you stand up and let me pray for you. Okay, listen. Can I tell you something? That's not a message. It's a commissioning. It's not a message. It's commissioning. Tomorrow, everything's going to change. You have things going on in your life. People, stuff, crap. Worse than crap going on. Things that need God. Right? I have them too. Listen, I'm saying, we all, all, all y'all. But tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up. This is prophecy now. You're going to wake up and you're going to be like, something's about to happen. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. You're going to go out all day long. You know what's going to happen? This song's going to run through your mind. Chris Felton's song. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. Buddha sucks. Muhammad sucks. But Jesus saves. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. You're going to be singing that happy song. Anything could happen any moment right here. And you know, you're going to run into some problems like you do every day. And you're going to be like, oh, not what would Jesus do? What is Jesus doing? What is he doing right now? Okay, so you ready? Okay, I'm telling you, you're wrecked for life now. You never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Holy Spirit, 
No, I'm praying for you. Listen, listen, you do your job, I'll do my job. You can't have my job yet. Someday I will retire, then you can do my job. But right now, you just do your job. Holy Spirit, I just release an anointing on this room and in this commissioning online and the overflow and people that will listen to this even seven years from now, that they will catch fire. Lord, I pray that there would be nobody safe from this John the Baptist anointing. Nobody safe. There would be nobody safe. Lord, I pray that their arguments wouldn't be won, but experiences would be had. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray the prayer of Moses. Lord, would you go with us? Lord, we don't want you to just send angels with us. We want you to go with us. And Lord, may we be as aware of your presence on Monday as we were tonight while we sang to you. Amen. Thank you so very much. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.